that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, the second Ohio State scrimmage practice session that we've been allowed to see this spring is in the books. Nathan Baird here with Stephen Means. Doug was off today, so it's our evaluations of what we saw in another good long stretch of football, right? Like about 90 minutes of football, more. Um, a lot of offense, defense, a lot of winner, loser, a lot of 7-on-7, seven 11-on-11, seven, 11 11, the whole shebang. Wanted to get a couple of uh, newsy things out of the way first. Um, we saw our first like live injury this spring. It was Jihad Carter went down. It was a non-contact, looked knee-related. I know it was knee-related. Ryan Day later talked about it being (laughs) knee-related. That that they were worried at first about the stability of the knee, but they got a good report back on that. And we saw Jihad Carter. He didn't return to drills, but he was walking around. So a scary moment for Ohio State fans and then the Ohio State players. And then what looked like some, some positive but there's going to be further evaluation for him. It's one of those things where the safety room is full right now and depth is a strength there, but he'd been doing positive things and with his experience and what he could do and helping at multiple spots, he'd become in these first eight practices, a pretty important guy too. Yeah. It's a guy where we continue to talk about that second wing level of safeties, right? We through through, Eight practices now when we've been in there, we've seen first unit is Lathan Ransom, Josh Proctor, Cameron Martinez, the returning veteran guys in the room. And then that second unit has been uh, Sonny Styles, Kai Stokes, and Jihad Starter. And we've been wondering, uh, kind of circling it around Sonny Styles, of course, but could any of those three guys eventually overtake spots on that first unit? And Jim knows talking about you got to dominate the twos before you can do that. Jihad Carter is a guy who would fall into that category of Maybe right now he's a two, but could he be a one by the time we get to the fall? But if it is something where maybe he has to miss some practices, they've already been doing this a little bit from what Jim Knowles told us and trying some corners in that spot, that slot nickel spot. And so it opened up opportunities for us to see that. And we saw Jair Brown and Ryan Turner in that nickel role once Jihad Carter went down. So all if it's a situation where he does have to miss any time, it just provides more reps to try something that they had already been trying to attempt to do. And that's maybe diversify the type of players they have at that spot. We're going to talk a lot about the quarterbacks today, what we thought of those performances. And I thought some interesting things that Ryan Day said that maybe help um, kind of encapsulate that. We're going to talk about a guy who really stood out on offense and, and showed up in an important way today. We are going to talk about some things that stood out uh, up front on both lines in good and bad ways. Uh, a couple more things, though, to and one of those related to that. We didn't see Zen Mahalski today. Ryan Day said that that is not anticipated to be a long-term injury, but usually it's been him rotating in with Tegra Shabola as they battle at that right tackle spot. Today, I saw almost exclusively Shabola at right tackle and Miles Walker with the twos at right tackle, and mm-hmm. that's another guy who's only been here for uh, you know a hot minute, and uh, Shabola's been here for like a year and a hot minute. But guys who are you know, just emphasizing how very young they are, we're going to come back. Just put a pin in that because we're going to come back to that in that third segment. And then also Mayan Williams was not uh, involved in practice today from what I saw. That meant a ton of reps for Dallin Hayden and Chip Tranum. Uh, but a guy who uh, Ryan Day said uh, 
a minor injury, not expected to be long-term. But anytime that you hear Mayan Williams an injury, your antenna goes up a little bit because the guy's just been banged up a lot. So hopefully something that they work through, give him the time off in the spring when he doesn't necessarily need it. And when those other guys really do, and maybe he comes out uh, in the long run. Anybody that I'm forgetting that we need to mention from the injury report? Now, as far as out, I think we'll throw this in there. Travion Henderson was doing a little bit more today. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still in, he was in cleats, which I think is a big deal that there is a difference. Everybody's in pads, but the guys who are out, guys like uh, Julian Fleming, Tommy Eikenberg, Mecca Buka, they're in tennis shoes going through stuff over on the side. He was in cleats and in some more of the drills. And I just, I had a chance to just talk with him over on the sideline. He's feeling better. He is not rushing himself back though. He is taking the advice that's necessary and taking his time, but he feels like he's getting back to his old self. So it was good to see him just back in the action a little bit more this week than he has been in past weeks. Didn't do any of the team live stuff though, which isn't all that shocking. Right, right. And nor, nor do we really expect that to happen. They're now eight mm-hmm. practices through, they get 15 practices, including the spring games. So we're halfway through the spring. You've seen guys like him and, and Tommy Eichenberg, and, you know, Mitchell Melton kind of is hanging around but isn't involved in anything. Like, I think those guys are going to be try to be as present as they can. But in all those cases, not so much, I guess, with Melton, there would be a, a, a definite benefit to him getting out there. With Eichenberg and, and Henderson, I think uh, caution is probably the way to go with that and, and have them as healthy as you can get them for the stretch of the summer and into preseason camp. So the quarterbacks, that's been the obviously the number one focus of everything we've done leading up to the spring, what Ohio State is doing this spring, trying to define that that starting quarterback. As we're going to detail later, this was a rough day for the offense. You know, last week in the open scrimmage, it was 102 to 101. The offense came down. Kyle McCord led a touchdown drive at the end of practice. It was a very back and forth thing. Uh, the defense did not have that problem today. The defense was in control mm. today. Uh, I didn't hear a final score, and I was trying to – nobody else, it sounded like, from the media did either. It was 93-78 to 78 was the score going into the final offensive – the final drill that they did. They were doing like a red zone drill towards the end of practice, and uh, then the defense won that too because they kept the offense out of the end zone. So I'm guessing the final score was like 95-78, 96-78, something mm. like that with their modified scoring system, and that's a pretty comfortable win for the defense. And uh, most of that was how the defensive line won up front. But there was something that Ryan Day said post game, and I want to bring it up here because I thought it was instructive. As soon as I find it, uh, so he's talking about uh, you know you had asked a question about the, the, how how you value how you evaluate right now when the defensive line is winning so much up front. And he was getting other questions along those lines, and he was asked about that that balance between. Because right now, McCord and Brown, typically the way this went today, like one of them would get three reps with the ones, the other one would get three mm-hmm. ups with the twos, and then they'd flip it. The other one would get three ups with the ones, the other one would get three ups with the twos. And Ryan Day was talking about why he thought that balance is important because you're taking the whole body of work. But then he said, there's some days, though, where, where at practice we'll get a, a bunch of reps with the runs and it kind of offsets the next day. But there's a significant drop-off with the twos. So we want to make sure you can figure that out. And by he's saying there's a significant talent drop off with the mm-hmm. twos, which is true right now, especially when you factor in that you're taking second string receivers and bumping them up to one right now. Right. Um, you've got guys missing on the offensive line. It's just it's the, the twos. There's a significant drop off. But over the years, we've done the same thing with the quarterback battles. This is Ryan Day again. I remember when CJ would be with the twos, he would still move the team down the field 
So that's something you look for in a quarterback battle. And or in a quarterback man, I think is actually what he said. And Steven, I thought that crystallized something you and I were sort of talking about afterwards. And and he made another allusion to this, which is you're right now sort of waiting for somebody to step up and take command. And I think that's maybe one example of it. Like, yeah, I know you're with the twos. I know that the two defensive line is probably even farther ahead of the two offensive line than the ones is right now. But that's sort of just part of the test that whoever the quarterback is that's getting those two reps needs to find a way to win. I, I think there is an element to quarterback play here at this point where so what, right? So whatever the, the obstacle is, and often in spring, because there are going to be guys out, there's going to be twos who are actually ones. There's going to be threes who are twos, and there are going to be guys who are not even sniffing the depth chart who are now with the threes. Can you still operate even outside of that stuff? And I think for CJ, it actually ended up playing out a lot of the times where he's missing Jackson, he's missing Travion Henderson, he's missing Mayan Williams, missing Kate Stover, missing Marvin Harrison Jr. It's like, so what? Go out there and compete anyway. With and I think some of that is what Ohio, what Ryan Day is looking for here because and the part of the reason we're on this line of questioning here is Ryan Day said before spring football started that ideally he would like to have an idea of who is winning this race or have somebody claim that spot. And we're at the halfway point, And I asked him, does he feel like that's still possible at this point? And he didn't say yes, but he did also didn't say no. But then he also did once again, kind of throw publicly throw that challenge out there for somebody to come claim this job and force them to give it to him. And it doesn't seem like that's happening right now for, and that's a variety of different reasons. You're trying to make sure it's equal and make sure that you go through your evaluation process, but also you have days like, you know, the practice number eight on Saturday where it didn't look good. And sometimes it wasn't things that were in your control. But as he talked about, they took some sacks where maybe some of it's on the offensive line, but some of it is maybe there was somebody open and you didn't see them open. I think that the context of the way he said that before spring was important because I always heard it as, yeah, I am open to someone taking this job, but I'm not just going to give it to somebody by the end of the spring for the sake of, mm-hmm having it be an easy timeline. Like it doesn't make any sense. And Brian Hartline spoke to that in, in a subsequent interview saying, why isn't it? Maybe it makes this team better. If this goes all the way till, you know, preseason camp and in a couple weeks in the preseason camp or whatever, maybe you're pushing everybody to be better that way. And, and, it, and it, it helps the team. I don't know, but I, I see the other perspective too, that if you get someone who steps up early and takes command, it can be a confidence building thing for the whole roster. I, you know, I saw some of what Ryan Day was talking about today. There was a a, a, a red zone period in particular where it might have been the first one of the day where, you know, Comacord was uh, had had two passes that were just dropped. Like one was a touchdown mm-hmm. that was dropped, another one that should have been a touchdown. And, and you'd give Denzel Burke the PBU on that. But I, I, I can't remember who the intended receiver was on there, but I don't think it was one of the frontline guys. I think if, if you know some one of the best guys on the team, uh, Harrison, Ebuka, Fleming, maybe they make that catch and they secure that touchdown. So some of that is happening with the twos, where you, you you're you're not going to get credit in in the counting stats for things that are happening out there, and that's why they do again the film evaluation. But I, I see, I, I definitely even just sensed his overall point because. As I'm watching this, I keep going back to how did this Ohio State season, the 2022 Ohio State season end? It ended with the best receiver that you have, who might be the best receiver in college football, out of the game. 
your tight end who was a, you know, a borderline guy ready to go to the NFL now out of the game. So you're dealing with a, a not ideal and you didn't have Jackson Smith the Jigba all season. So you're dealing with a not ideal personnel group on the field. Uh, not your not your number one A personnel group on the field for the most important last gasp snaps of the season. And C.J. Stroud didn't finish that off, but at least he got him down there. I mean, at least he got mm-hmm. them in a position to win that game with the kick at the end of the game. A long one, didn't get there, but still, like it was, he he took it on his shoulders and he made plays and made reads and made decisions that got the team down the field, regardless of what the personnel is. And that's an extreme example, but that's kind of what I would have in the back of my mind as I'm looking at these team with the twos. It's like, are you making a throw? Are you making a decision that elevates this group of talent maybe over what it would be with just an average quarterback? Cause that's sort of the whole point. And it didn't feel like we saw that on Saturday. And will that continue to grow over the next six months? We're also talking about a version of CJ Stroud in that Georgia game two years into the starting lineup. He probably sure. at this point, especially in, and when he was in Devin Brown, she was as a second year guy who had never thrown a pass. He probably looked closer to Devin Brown look today than he did what he looked like in that Georgia game. So this is a process to that. So it's, it's the, you're trying to compare the best possible version of CJ Stroud to, you know, day one of what Kyle McCord and is Devin Brown are. But that's right. not the comparison Ryan Day made. That was my comparison that I just that made. That is true. The comparison yeah. Ryan Day made was like, hey, two yeah. years ago. Two years ago today, more or less, yeah. 2021, there's a quarterback battle going on. And that's what helped C.J. Stroud win that job was when yeah. he was with the twos. And you had three guys at that time competing for that job, including Kyle McCord. When he was with the twos, you saw something. Like you could see something look different when CJ Stroud was with the twos compared to when those other quarterbacks are with the twos. And I think that is still a big part of this evaluation. We make so much. I think I mentioned this on the last time we did a, a post game, a post scrimmage pod. Like we spend so much time talking about who's working with the ones, how many snaps are these guys getting with the ones, but it's an even split. And I think maybe the most crucial thing of the quarterback battle is, is who does more with those snaps with the twos. And I was I was recording video and stuff today. I didn't chart every single snap with the twos today. Uh, mm-hmm. But Devin Brown had some success with the twos. Though. It was I, I thought it was pretty equal. I thought today was more even than it was last week as you compared the quarterbacks. If you're taking like the the horse yeah. race view of this, CJ uh, Comacord kind of pulled out at the the last half, last third of the last practice, and got some distance and. Devin Brown, if he didn't close it, he certainly stayed within that reach that he left, I thought, last Saturday with. Yeah, and I, to kind of tackle the other point you were making with the CJ with the twos thing, I, I think it's even more important this time around because CJ was doing that with the twos, but like with Jackson Smith, the, Garrett and Chris were probably limited, but Jackson's probably not limited because he's trying to claim a spot at that point. You probably had JMO. It's, I mean, Regardless of almost the being with the ones doesn't mean that much this time around because the ones in terms of weapons are sitting on the sideline watching for half of the stuff we're doing. It's not like, oh, Kyle McCord is with the ones and it's Marvin Harrison Jr., Julian Fleming, and Emeka Buka. It's Kyle McCord is with the ones and it's Jaden Ballard, Carnell Tate, and you know, Noah Rogers, or maybe Marvin Harrison is out there for this period, or maybe another freshman or Kojo Antwi has moved up with the one. So it's a very different concept of being with the ones and the twos almost doesn't matter when most of the ones aren't doing anything anyway. And maybe that's the case, but there's probably some validity to that, Tim, too. If that's how CJ Stroud went on to win this job in 21, then 
maybe we look at today as this could have been an opportunity for Kyle McCord or Devin Brown to really make some ground here. And it didn't seem like either one of them, it wasn't a bad day. I don't want to make it seem like it was just a terrible day. Nobody did anything well. It just wasn't the type of statement day as in if Kyle McCord had done what he did last Saturday, especially at the end of that practice, had that been what we saw from Kyle McCord today, we're probably on this pod today talking about how has Kyle McCord taken a significant step forward in winning this quarterback battle, but that didn't necessarily happen. So they're still kind of neck and neck as they continue to evaluate this. As we're going to discuss in the second segment, there was another factor that made it difficult to evaluate the quarterbacks. I don't want to go too far down that line, but it, 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 well, we got, I guess maybe we should just mention in passing, like the defensive line really dominated the offensive line today. I thought uh, both first, second, whatever. And that at times made it hard to evaluate the quarterbacks. Ryan Day said as much that, you know, you get a day like this. I can't remember what he said, like havoc or chaos or something like that. It's just a little bit, um, there's a lot going on that makes it tough to evaluate the quarterbacks. At the same time, there were some other, you know, there was an interception today. Davison Igbenosin picked off Mm -hmm. Kyle McCord that I thought was just a clean defensive play. Unlike um, one that we saw uh, sort of, side-eyed as we were walking out of practice one day where I, I thought it was a blown route. This one I thought was just a, a the defensive back made the right read. He's a good defensive back. That's going to happen once in a while. Uh, there were some other uh, times where I thought both quarterbacks were a little bit uh, slippery with the ball uh, on some exchange, on you know, handoffs or, or things like that. And, uh, you know, both guys, when the pressure comes, and it was coming a lot, uh, it, that it was, it was coming so relentless today that I really didn't know what to take away from that. But we'll talk about that more in a second. But just in general, uh, anything that stood out to you from how these two quarterbacks performed other than other than the pressure stuff, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah, I thought it was decent. I thought some, they both had moments where you thought they were making some good decisions and keeping the team on schedule. But I also thought that they had some moments where they look rattled. And some of that's their fault, some of that's not their fault. But I just thought it was... If I thought last week was a, it started off pretty decent and it ended up being a really good day. I thought this time around, it was just kind of okay at best on the day. I think I would concur with that. We're going to talk about one of the big reasons why after this break, you're listening to Buckeye Talk. So listen, as Ryan Day said, you've got to kind of go on the film and make independent evaluations. There are going to be times when the, the pass rush gets to you. So what do you do in that scenario? How do you make reads? How do you make decisions? And when there is a pass rush right now, quarterbacks are not live. So that whistle comes fast. And there are definitely some plays where the quarterbacks actually made plays. And then it comes over the the, the loudspeaker like, oh, that was a coverage sack. So all that's coming mm-hmm. back. But uh, I thought this was maybe a step back for the offensive line today. Um, based on what we had seen a week earlier where, yeah, they still had some issues, but today it just felt more uh, prevalent. I thought there were a lot of those coverage sacks, a lot of those ball, those those reps getting blown dead really fast. I thought there were a lot of uh, hands on balls near the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. And it, to some extent, that's not surprising. And it is only spring. It's halfway through spring. There's some guys here who are second-year players who a lot is being asked of them. So there's going to be some growing pains. But, I mean, you saw the same thing I did. That This was a day where the defensive line 
sort of asserted itself. And you can look at that as being a big warning sign for the offensive line. And I don't think that's necessarily any more true than it was before we got there today. We already knew there were issues with the offensive line. When you can start to see them going too deep of guys asserting themselves on the defensive line, you can talk yourself into that maybe just being the more positive aspect of it, that there's guys who are not on the ones and who are getting out there and 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 wrecking some havoc. I thought it was a very impressive day for the defensive line, and it also got annoying after a while because it reached a point where if you're in a period where you're also just you're also just trying to see what the offense is trying to execute and the defensive line made that very much impossible. And I think I said this to myself watching one of the drills because it was like three or four plays in a row where it's like JT Tuimaloao has both hands on the back of the quarterback. Jack Sawyer is just sitting standing right next to the quarterback. Kenyatta Jackson, uh Mike Hall, Talik Williams, Caden Curry all down the list just getting to the quarterback routinely that you're like, "Can we please just take the ones out of the game so we can see what the offense is trying to do here?" But as Ryan did kind of came back, it's it's winner loser day and you're going to be evaluated off of that and when you win you're winning and you're losing you're losing. We're not going to make a big deal. We're not going to, you know, scale back off of that when we're trying to compete here. But I think that, and the way I tried to preface that question is, the defensive line has been very dominant this spring. But what does that actually mean when you have an offensive line that's trying to replace three starters, two of which are borderline first-rounders, all-American-level players at your tackle spots? And maybe your offensive line's a little bit banged up today, even with some of the returning guys. And so it's not the full unit. The guys are trying to learn blocking schemes, trying to, you know, grow into positions. While often in the spring with defensive line, especially in some team periods where you know it's passing, it's just tee off the ball and then go get the quarterback. And when you've got five-star recruit, five-star recruit, top 100 recruit, top 100 recruit, it can be very easy to just tee off the ball and go get the quarterback. So how do you balance man, the defensive line looks very good versus what the context of why they looked very good because we've been here before. Last year, JT, Jack, and Zach were having a field day with Paris and Dewan at this point in the spring. The year before that, you know, Zach Harrison and uh, Tyreek Smith were having a field day with Nicholas Petit-Frere and Thayer Munford at this point. The year before that, Jonathan Cooper, every year this is the case, but then we get to the fall when it's actually time to do that, and we haven't seen that payoff since Chase Young left here so what makes this year different than the last three or four years when it didn't? I, For me, watching it, it was the way – you said it, the waves of it. It wasn't just, oh, look at what JT's doing. Oh, look at what Jack's doing. It was too deep, literally. All four of the deep people we expect to be a part of that edge-rushing rotation, plus Amari Abor, looked very good this year. I mean, this, this Saturday. Talik Williams, Ty Hamilton, Mike Hall were – constantly bringing pressure. I think Jaden McKenzie also had a pretty decent day as well. And Ryan Day pointed out here, Canoe has done some things as well. So it's the fact that it feels like there's depth there that you can maybe have a little bit more promise in that. While also, you know, you give a little bit of to why it's happening to the offensive line, but maybe it does put you in a little bit of edge of, is this going to be a problem? Because if they're already having this much of an issue with this defensive line, what happened? Is it going to get better in six months like we've seen it do in the past? Or is this a sign of things to come? So there wasn't a significant change to the defensive two deep. We did see some guys sneak in more with the ones than maybe we'd seen before. And in this defensive line discussion, that was Kenyatta Jackson getting some run with the ones. The predominant first string was still Tuimilowau and Sawyer on the ends, Hamilton uh, at 
nose, essentially, Tyreek Williams at, at three tech. And then Mike Hall was also in there with the ones and some, which was, I, I thought, uh, interesting because he, he spent so much time with the twos uh, throughout the spring. But we did see him, I thought, more with the ones today. But the, the one that stood out was when they, they came out with an alignment that had Kenyatta Jackson at end instead of Jack Sawyer. And that was mm-hmm. actually that was that was Jackson, Hall, Williams, and Tuamaloao. So that's almost like that's almost like a Rushman situation there. You've yeah. still got two tackles on the field, but but bordering with like that is a that is a pretty significant pass rush package that you could come up with there. That was um um on just one of the I can't remember which period that was. Um, but but as we said before, Mahalski out today and we don't know how long that that's going to be you still have someone in in Vic Cutler who it sounds like and looks like is acclimating still to Big Ten football Donovan Jackson was getting subbed out a lot today with the ones Enoch Vamahi was getting extra run with the ones today so they're missing some guys there's still the adjustment that uh, that Carson Hensman and other guys Shabola are making the the defensive line is supposed to be ahead of the offensive line right now. And you and I were talking as we left about how kind of what you were just saying, like, well, at some point, do you, isn't this altering how you practice? Like, don't you need to pull or, or, you know, pull the reins on the, the pass rush a little bit, even from that front four, or do you, do you pull your, your ones? And I, but my point was like, these guys aren't practicing to be the twos. Like, they they don't mm-hmm. have time to to kick ass with the twos like they and this has been the conversation since before last season what they were going to be in this position where there 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 is no one else like this is the team this is the offensive line that's going to have to try to stop Wisconsin and Notre Dame and Michigan and Penn State and everybody else that's on this schedule this year and can you do it or not and they've got they don't really have time to ease them into it i think the way that they look at it is the old iron sharpens iron thing and d- does getting your butt kicked by this defensive line right now especially the guys who are the most nfl adjacent of those guys like is does that making these guys better cuz you're doing it in spring when there's no consequences how much better does that make you for the fall and we've seen, like, like i said before we've seen this happen and then the offensive line is fine the issue is in other years where we've seen the Austin's line be fine. It's well, they were doing that against guys who were there. Mumford's a multi-year starter. Nickel Seek Prayer is a former five-star. Paris Johnson was a let him play left tackle a season away before he was probably going to be an All-American level candidate, which he was. Dewan Jones was coming in the year two when we saw him do that, and so there was maybe this built-in pillow of why you should be not on edge when the defensive line is kicking the offensive line's butt the first eight weeks of spring. That's not built in this time around. Josh Fryer's a year four guy who's tra- who's transitioning into being a left tackle, though I thought he had a pretty good day. I heard his name a couple of times over the, the, the loudspeaker, so I, it's less about him. As you just said, Carson Hensman's in year two, and really up until – Two months ago, we weren't expecting him to be the starting center, even with Luke Whipler gone. So he's transitioning. Uh, Tegra Shabola's in year two. Even Zen Mahalski, when he is out there, he's trying to move and, and fight for a job right now after spending last year being a backup left tackle. So there's just less of a cushion to feel comfortable about it. But there's been enough proof in the past couple of years that maybe things will be okay. You're just a little bit more on edge about it. But to the point, it's just 
the depth that's at defensive line, I still think they are a tackle away. You probably want four guys in there. So maybe you look in the portal this offseason or maybe somebody else emerges in that room. But the depth that seems to be being built in that defensive line right now, the returns they seem to be getting right now, there's reason for optimism there. Now it's can it actually happen in the fall when you're not going up against your own team? Yeah, I try to break these 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 practice uh, seasons down into smaller parts. And like we're we're through one half of the spring. So like mm-hmm. what happens in the back half of the spring? Like the all these names that they gave us on February first when we reconvened and, and got to talk to Ryan Day again. So we started hearing about Carson Hensman. You started hearing, you know, you heard that they were moving definitively. Josh Fryer was going to get first shot at left tackle. Shabola was definitely going to move to tackle. Like all those things were what we first heard then. And then now did everything that's happened in these eight weeks reaffirm that those were the right path? Or Mm -hmm. do we start hearing new things? Do we start seeing new things? This is like the last time we'll get to see something really in-depth from them, I think, until the spring game, right? I don't know that we are scheduled for any more. I don't know that we're scheduled for any more open practice windows. We still have some interviews left over the next couple weeks, but I don't know that we have another viewing window, which is kind of standard that they they give it to us early in, in, in the spring or early in the preseason camp, but kind of the same way in preseason camp. Remember, we're only two years removed from being well in the preseason camp, and then all of a sudden, Hey, we've got four tackles starting on the offensive line. <laughs> like so what we're seeing now in the spring is really a foundational thing, but you you still see how far this offensive line has to come. That's not a surprise, but we would still at some point like to start seeing with your eyes, hey, that looked impressive and today it was kind of the opposite. It was a lot of every time you looked up, uh quarterback barely has time to throw, quarterback uh calling out a lot of sacks, calling out a lot of uh, – there was at one point where they there was another positive play that the, the offense made, but it was called back for a holding mm-hmm. in the end zone, which actually went for a safety. Like, they're just just things like that. It was, it was a rough day for the offensive line and just a reminder that it's a positive thing that they've identified the guys who are now, they think, going to be best and maybe win those jobs. Some of those guys do still have a ways to go. Like, I, there were multiple times where you, you could just see the frustration – on the faces of the the staff, like Mike Celine, the offensive line mm-hmm. GA, I, multiple times I saw him really having to like come over and like grab a guy and like be stern with him a little bit about what didn't happen on that play, and just like some of the the frustration was apparent on his face and and and, and mannerisms, and uh, they're it's competitive, and that's the other thing. Like it was this was ninety minutes of competition. We got there when they were kind of just playing around. And then it, it got going pretty good. It wasn't like the full two hours it was last week, but still a pretty competitive day. And I, I'm, I like that they've showed us that stuff because that's where you really start to see what's really going on. It's not just a lot of talk. It's like when those guys lined up, what happened? And you, you what today just kind of reinforced things that we've thought all along, which is this offensive line still needs development before you're going to feel really secure about it for opening day. It, Eight practices and it feels like the only question mark. And I think that's a good thing because I think had we when at the start of spring, had we said halfway through, what's the one spot you would think there'd be a question mark? And you probably would have said offensive line. 
just because of what they're trying to do there. But everything else, I think we, we, you know, you kind of said this in the video we did after practice. I think we know the deal. Like we know what the deal is at running back. They've got some depth there, whether yeah. guys are healthy right now or not. Wide receiver, this is the best wide receiver room in the country. We know that deal. Kyle McCord or Devin Brown's going to win the quarterback job. Cade Stover is a starting tight end. Can we see if G, G Scott and, Kate and um, Joe Royer can give them enough so they can do 12 and 13 personnel? On defense, I think we feel very confident about where the secondary is. And then linebacker is linebacker while the defensive line continues to dominate. So I think overall, Ohio State's in a good space where it feels like the only question mark right overall is an offensive line that is still trying to fi- – they might have figured out where guys should be, but the question is on the back half of the spring and then going in the fall camp later on is we got guys where we need them to be. Now, can they be the best version of what we need them to be? You know, I think tight end is still a question mark, but we're seeing those guys make plays. Yeah. Um, and and the way that they're making plays is not necessarily the most important thing for how they would get on the field for Ohio State. So that's a whole nother thing. But but we're seeing, I think, some positive steps for G. Scott and Joe Royer. You know, cornerback is still a question mark until those guys actually go out and 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 raise a level of play in games. But there's reason to believe that that's on its way. Safety, I think, is is pretty secure. Um, obviously, you know, there's a question mark at running back, but it's it's like the health of Trevion Henderson, Mayan Williams, and how that affects how they play. And as we started off talking, you know, Trevion is seems to be in the right frame of mind there, even if he is not able to be physically on the field. So there are other things where the question marks aren't as like they're not just not as big, they're not as pronounced. But offensive mm-hmm. line is still it's man, it's still such a work in progress. I thought today really reinforced that. We're going to come back from break. We're going to talk about one guy that we thought I think was maybe universally in that room today. People thought this guy had the best day of anybody for Ohio State. You're listening to the Buckeye Talk. So how much does any young receiver having a big day in the spring mean? I don't know. They've obviously got two starters who are absolutely written in ink starters for opening day who are not participating in practice right now. And they've got a third guy. Nobody's taking his job. So it's more about depth. It's more about the long term. But it was a big deal to walk in today and see Carnell Tate is running with the ones. Uh, a lot of times it was him with with uh, Ballard and Harrison. Sometimes it was Harrison and somebody else in the slot. Because Marvin Harrison did get some slot time today, which was interesting uh, from what they talked about, you know, potentially moving him around this spring. But Carnell Tate was not only running with the ones, and this was building off some momentum he was already coming into today with, but he was making plays. I was impressed with, you know, seemed like a guy whose who's footwork along the sidelines uh, was making plays in seven on seven and eleven on eleven, and and he looks the part, man. Like you, you stand him up next to the rest of those guys in the receiver room, and it's um, let's see, they've got him listed at you know six two one ninety one. I mean, that's there's a guy in this program that he should probably have a laser focus on right now, trying to emulate. And I'm not saying he can get to the Marvin Harrison Jr. threshold no. uh, standard. But it's all about, you know, shooting for the what's what's it? You reach for the stars and settle for the moon or whatever. Like, that's what I think I would have Carnell Tate doing as it relates to Marvin Harrison Jr. So last year, the day after last summer, the day after Carnell Tate committed to Ohio State in 
I think it was June. He was on campus the next day at a day camp. He was, I'm pretty sure he was here the same day Dylan Rayola came to throw. And he was out on the field doing some stuff with Hartline. And then after they were, I was like watching him go through these drills with Brian Hartline and look good. He big receiver, everything that you, the, the recruiting profile kind of checked out. After that was over, I had like a five minute conversation with him, just introducing myself because we had never been in the same room before. Um, and then I was talking to somebody on Ohio State staff about him and just an evaluation, what they liked about him, what they see for him. And I'm glad you brought up the Marvin Harrison thing because it was thrown out there that Cardinal Tate looks like right now, and this is a year ago, so he's still in, he's a rising senior in high school. He looks like what Marvin Harrison looked like in high school. And it piqued my interest because I was already planning to be on the Marvin Harrison train. And then Marvin did what he did. Marvin obviously also showed up here physically looking a lot different than what he looked like in high school. But just, I I wrote this earlier this winter. There's a new type of receiver that Heartline is starting to get into this program. For a long time, it was the guys who looked like Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, Chris Olave, Mecca Buka, the 6'1", 190 guys. Marvin's bigger. He's a bigger receiver who doesn't sacrifice his speed. And that's a lot of what Carnell Tate is. That's a lot of what Noah Rogers is. That's a lot of what Jeremiah Smith is in the 2024 class. He's bigger guys who you can put anywhere and they're mismatch problems. And I think that we've been talking all spring about the fact that because there are so many veterans out, there was going to be opportunities for these young wide receivers to make some noise. Carnell Tate has started to make that noise and take full advantage of it. And he comes out of this really the last two Saturdays. If he puts his name in Twitter, he's probably the hottest thing coming back because he loses his black stripe last Saturday. And now this Saturday he's working with the ones and he's flashing. It's an early stripe removal. That was like an early early in in one's career to lose a stripe um, ahead of schedule compared to some other guys. And, you know, he's not even the most heralded guy from this receiving recruiting class. Like you still got Brandon Ennis coming (laughs) as the the guy that everybody thought maybe would make the most immediate impact. But there's a little bit here that's happening that reminds me of Caden Curry versus Kenyatta Jackson, Amari Abor last year. You can, make other allusions to other position groups in the past. Like when you can get here first and get that foot in the door first and get that winter conditioning and that strength and conditioning program in your blood a little bit first, man, it gives you a nice head start. And I think you're seeing that on the field right now. And, you know, we have talked about, we've had some, some, some borderline arguments, I guess, amongst the three of us, about where where this where the where the receiving depth is actually going to shake out this year, it would seem like someone like Xavier Johnson is almost locked in as the four, and because he can he can do various things for them, and I think early in the season that's true. I'm curious what that receiver depth will be if they need a fourth, fifth, sixth receiver. Well, let's not even go that deep. Sixth is pretty deep. If they need a fourth receiver, it's it's a tie game in the game, and they've got the ball with two minutes to go. And for some reason, one of the top three can't play. Is it, you know, it, is there a path for a true freshman or a second year guy to move up and to surpass Xavier Johnson? I guess in that case, they'd also have to be surpassing um, Jaden Ballard. But someone to step up and be like 
and, and to have shown themselves to be that that heir apparent in a way that gets them on the field in a way that Chris Olave was getting on the field as a freshman. Garrett Wilson was getting on the field from the start of his freshman year. Like we we've seen little glimpses of it. I don't know. Can one of these guys do that? It's so early. We're only halfway through the spring, but I don't discount it. I, I do think this time, this is the first time in a while where there's like a reasonable path to it happening just because of the type of freshmen who are coming in here, but also just where the room is like in 2020, it just wasn't going to happen with those guys. Maybe if they had had a normal year, we would have seen, I mean, Julian got out there in the big 10 championship game because the guys got COVID and whatnot. And I thought he had a, a decent showing in that game, nothing crazy, but I thought, you know, he had like four catches for 50 yards, a decent day, but it was COVID. Those guys just think they're, first year just got ruined so it was not even possible and then in 2021 as great of what Marvin Harrison did in that Rose Bowl and Mecca Flash and Julian Flash that was made possible by a loss to Michigan if that doesn't happen we don't get those flashes because they're playing in playoff games and it's just the Garrett Wilson Chris Olave and Jackson Smith the Jigba show for another month so that provided the chance for that to happen this past year, it didn't happen. Why? One, because Marvin Harrison, Emeka, Buka, Julian Fleming, and Xavier Johnson were very, very good. Also, these the true freshmen this time around, never, no one really claimed a spot and really put themselves in position for that to happen. But also, they were playing in playoff games. I do think because of how things are set up this year, there's going to be blowouts, right? There's going to be some games where Marvin Harrison, Emeka, Buka, and Julian Fleming, and Xavier Johnson are chilling midway through the third quarter, and we're going to see these freshmen flash. I do think... This is a situation where if it's needed, it's a big if because this is still the receiver room it is, but I won't be shocked if we get to a situation where they need to go to somebody other than the known commodities. If a Carnell Tate or a Brandon this when he gets here puts himself in a position to at least be considered because they're making the necessary headway. Even if it doesn't happen, I do think there's a talented enough freshman to be able to do it if it's necessary. And Carnell Tate's kind of backing that up with how he's played the last two weeks. Yeah, I mean, clearly he has made the right impression. Ryan Day said a lot of things about the kind of guy he is off the field. And then, you know, what he's doing on the field is sort of speaking for itself. That's why they're they're giving him those opportunities. And I'm just very intrigued by him. I remember when Marvin Harrison came in and every spring Ryan Day gets a question that's like, uh, hey, who among the freshmen has impressed you so far? And like they haven't even really started doing anything. But though, but that was a case where he was like, well, I don't like to mention anybody, which he always says. It's like, I don't want to mention anybody because I'll leave somebody out. But like mm-hmm. he couldn't stop himself from mentioning like Marvin Harrison Jr. like physically is more than I thought he was going to be. And, you know, he didn't say that about Tate. Like he wasn't necessarily asked that about Tate. But I thought that about Tate when I saw him today just sort of interacting with the rest of that receiver group. Like I think there's something there physically that is going to be a fun thing for Ohio State quarterbacks to play with here in the coming years. Anything else you want to mention before we sign off today? I'm trying to think here. Uh, no, I, I think that's about it. Yeah, I think that's about it. It was. It was there's um, just from a recruiting standpoint, a lot of people, not the biggest group. I would call it quality, not quantity, in terms of who was here. Um, Aaron Nolan, obviously, on his unofficial visit. James Peoples, obviously, on his unofficial visit. Two top 100 players, one a quarterback, one a running back. That both of these guys might there might be some a little bit of buzz and momentum coming out of this weekend, depending on how some things go. Five star cornerback Charles Lester was here. Uh, top 100 cornerback Xavier Brown was here. So some some bigger names. A, a type of week where 
a lot of top 100 kids where you looked at it and went, oh, this is realistically guys who could be Buckeyes because none of these are official visits. A lot of these guys are coming up on their own dime. That's always a big deal when you're talking about some of these national recruits. And so Ohio State has been quiet on the recruiting trail for most of the last couple of weeks here up until the Armstrong twins had popped. That might be changing here very soon over the next couple of weeks. And our readers should know, listeners, I guess you're all listening. You're not reading this podcast. Our listeners should know you have a recruiting pod coming later this week, right? I assume there's going to be probably some Jaden Davis talk and what happens next, yep. but also just sort of the what's coming, what else is coming, and when is it going to start for Ohio State? Yeah, it should be fun. I think I'm going to do it rant style like what Doug does, and so you guys can complain and give me your thoughts about how you feel about where the recruiting stands right now as we head into the back half of the spring and to the summer June official visits. So keep listening for that. I know Doug has some NFL-related stuff as it relates to Ohio State that is coming this week. And we'll also obviously have our, our usual reactions from practice this week. We get, uh, I believe, running backs and tight ends pretty soon. Um, Wednesday, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, find out what's going on with, with those groups. And uh, just, it's boy, it's it's we got to eight practices fast, and now I feel like we're going to go from eight to the spring game even faster. It's going to be a, a quick couple weeks here to wrap up the spring, but we're going to learn everything we can and bring it to you here and bring it to you on the text 614-350-3315 and bring it to you on cleveland.com slash OSU. For Stephen Means, I'm Nathan Baird, and that was Buckeye Talk.